Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. It is so good to see you, and we pray that it is well with your soul. We pray that the Lord is blessing you. We know that the Lord is still on the throne, and I want to share a couple of things just quickly with you about why we're going to be having a special prayer service on Thursday night. It is the National Day of Prayer, and as I've been reading and following and tracking and our legal team doing the same. We know that uh, those who are governing over us really could use our help. They need the Lord to speak into their lives, and we need to see an end to this pandemic. And one of the greatest ways that we can affect that is to knock on the doors of heaven and ask for the Lord's help. And so Thursday night, uh, we're going to have a number of sections of prayer where we will pray for uh, the federal government, the state and local government, our, our leaders, uh, for the church itself, and for all that the Lord is doing uh, here in our country during this time, and for a cure, uh, for a literal cure to this disease, which is being feverishly worked on uh, by more than 80 different laboratories right now. And so I want to encourage you to join us. We want to welcome you if you've joined us from somewhere Uh, here in Southern California, or if you're maybe one of those uh, wonderful folks who've joined us from all over the world, uh, wherever you are, South America, Central America, Latin America, someplace in Europe, maybe somewhere else here in the United States or Canada, uh, welcome to our online services here at Calvary Chapel South Bay. We're delighted that you chose to spend uh, this morning with us, and whether you're uh, in your living room, or maybe you're outside in, in Baja Backyarda right now, if you've taken a little vacation, uh, welcome. I also want to let you know that we are working on a, t- on a plan right now with our leadership team, both our legal team and then our leadership team here at the church, uh, for plans to reopen the church. Now, in saying that, I want to also be very, very, very cautious and remind you that we believe that the best thing that we can do right now uh, is to follow those directives that we've been given by our governing officials. And so we are going to give them time to work. Uh, There are a number of things happening at a federal level right now that uh, I don't want to share publicly with you, but I can tell you they are in fact happening uh, that would lead us to believe that we may be able to come back to church and meet physically in the not horribly distant future. So please be patient, uh, be civil, be kind, be understanding, continue to pray for those that have to make these very tough decisions. Whether you like what those decisions are or not, uh, whether you have a political bent one way versus another way, whether you care for that elected official or not, Uh, make sure that you're doing your part to uphold what Scripture says, and that is to pray for those who govern us, whether you voted for them or not. And so as we begin this process, which we hope will be soon, uh, be patient and and let's seek the Lord for the perfect plan that he has for his church. If you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6, we'll pick up in verse 27. 
And we're going to finish this abbreviated version of what is now the Sermon on the Mount. And in a little bit of review, I want to remind you that Jesus has given these very paradoxical uh, statements in the Beatitudes themselves that blessed are those who are disadvantaged, blessed are those who are distressed, blessed are those who are detested, and blessed are those who are actually looking forward to heaven, have an eternal perspective. Now, those are things that only apply really in, in the sense that Jesus is speaking them to the disciples. Remember, he singled them out, and as he's Preaching to the crowd, he looks at the disciples and said, guys, I want you to listen up. So for us as the church, these things are for us. This is our perspective on our life while we're here on earth. And as you can clearly see, these are very much the things that we're looking at right now as our reality. Because many of you are suffering financially. Many of you are disadvantaged in that way. Many of you are distressed right now. Um, perhaps some of you, because of your stance on what's going on in our world, you may even be suffering some some detesting from your neighbors or maybe your own family. It's like, man, you Christians, you all think the same, you act the same, you do the same things. And, and yet at the same time, the answer is still the answer that Jesus gave. As we look forward to heaven, these things do govern our lives. We look at life, the earthly life, through a heavenly perspective. And so Jesus is now going to go on and he's going to speak into our lives a truth that is very hard for people to grasp at times. And that truth is this. The way you live your life in light of the good news of the gospel and God's amazing grace absolutely matters. It absolutely matters. And the reason I say that is many people believe that because we have been given this wonderful grace gift, because that gift is free, it also must be, as we think of other things in our world, it must be also not very valuable or it may be, in fact, cheap. God's grace is free, but it absolutely is not cheap. It's the most wonderful gift you will ever receive. It is the only gift that can gain you entrance to heaven. It's the only way that your sins can be forgiven. And so now Jesus is going to go on and elucidate our minds. And what do we do with this beatitude living? How do we live it out? What does it look like when we actually put it into practice? And so to that end, uh, we'll begin to look at why what we do matters to the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to your house, your virtual house, your church in this world. Lord, joining together as the body of Christ, we are still linked by the exact same spirit that would be here in this building is joining us together wherever we are on whatever device we're looking at. Our hearts, our minds, our spirits are joined together with you in heaven. And we pray now that you would use your word to speak to us. Lord, instruct us, help us to know how to live our lives in a way that is well-pleasing to you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. You see, some Christians wrongly believe that because it's free, grace is cheap. And there is a doctrinal position uh, that one can name. It's, it's antinomianism, anti meaning against, nomos the law. And it 
it is really the position that many people take if they believe that God's grace, being free, is also cheap, that you can then go on and live your life however you please. You can agree with the world. You can have exactly the same type of lifestyle that the world has. It's just that now you are saved. And so that grace is cheapened by the way that we would live our lives. And the Bible clearly paints the exact opposite picture that we are to live our lives in a way that's well-pleasing to God and, most importantly, that aligns with the Word of God. We are to be living out the Word of God in our daily lives. Jesus basically is saying, look, uh, not so fast. If you are one of my beloved, if you're one of my blessed ones, if you are a believer, then you ought to behave as a blessed believer. In other words, our attitudes should also adjust our actions. We, we should begin to put into practice those things which we know in our minds, believe in our hearts, should reach our hands. It should work that way. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Paul's encouragement to the church at Rome. And so today, as we dig in from verse 27... Jesus is going to address the behavior of believers, the behavior of we who are the blessed ones. And so before you look at these things and do what I have done at times, which is kind of give it a proverbial, I I don't think so, I don't know that I could ever live this way, understand that this way of living can only be lived in the spirit. It is not possible in your flesh. You will never love people who hate you if you just simply seek to balance it in your mind some way. This is the work of the Spirit and the life of the believer, and the work of the Spirit and the life of the believer will absolutely change the way you behave. And so let's join in here with Jesus as he speaks further to the disciples gathered in this crowd sitting there on on the mount. But I say to you who hear, verse 27 of chapter 6 of Luke's Gospel, Love your enemies. That's where I start going, "Mm -mm, not happening, not today, not ever. Do good to those who hate you. Nope, sorry, but that's just not the way I roll. You see, when you look at these things, they are an impossibility if all you have to work with is your flesh. You'll never do these things. Matter of fact, I would say to you that they're impossible. They're actually quite difficult, even with the work of the Spirit in your life. Bless those who curse you. No, sorry, that's not happening either. I'm going to give them what's coming to them. And pray for those who spitefully use you. In other words, they use malice, forethought, evil intent to wound you as deeply as they possibly can. And Jesus says, Do good to them. Bless them. Don't persecute them. You see, genuine saving faith is going to produce genuine Christian living. You're going to live in a way that says, I am one of God's kids, and therefore, my life is governed by the Spirit. I don't do what the world does. I do the exact opposite, in essence, of what the world would do with these things. You see, the driving force behind our lives, behind the Savior's behavior even, was love. 
In this is the love of God manifest. Christ died for us. The whole plan of salvation is rooted, grounded, firmly anchored in the love of God, which was always in heaven towards his creation. And so Jesus comes and says, look, I love you. And so I'm going to give myself for you as a ransom for your sin. You see, the basis of these things is accepting the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. And now we learn how this love is going to act. This is the reciprocal things that we would do because we've received the love of God, because we have the grace of God working in our lives. Now, see, here's the truth. Right now, especially, I don't know how many of you are just like super irritated by the fact that you have to wear a mask when you're perfectly well. Um, I'm one of those people. I'm super irritated by the fact that I have to wear a mask. I'm perfectly well. I'm in no danger of getting anything from anyone, and I'm not going to give it to anyone. But I'm not the only person on earth. So while I'm walking around, when people look at the back of my truck, which I have an I Believe sticker on the back of my truck, and I have a Calvary Chapel South Bay window decal on there, it's very clear that at least from an external perspective, people might look at that and go, hey, that guy's a Christian. So if I'm walking around going, I can't believe it, rotten politicians. And I go to the store and I pull my mask off and go, I'm just not doing this. You see, people may not know my Jesus. They may have not read the Bible, but they absolutely can read me. I'm the book that they can read. You're the book that they can read. And in fact, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 3 says this very thing in verse 2. You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. And clearly you're an epistle of Christ who ministered by us, written not in ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is the heart. In other words, you're a heart book for people to read. We have to behave in such a way that people can read our book and come to the conclusion. It's as if they thumbed through the entire Bible and got to the end and realized that God loves them. They're supposed to be able to see that in me and in you. Now, I also want to warn you that even Satan can quote Bible verses accurately. The demons believe they even shudder, exactly as James reminds us there in chapter 2 of the book of James. You see, that's also true. So you can speak Christianese all day, and if you don't live it out, you see the difference is the demons don't live it out. They can quote it. They can speak it. They can say it, but they don't live it. So we have to be careful because there's a lot of people who name the name of Christ. Oh, they can quote you Bible verses. They can speak it all day long. And they'll usually take it out of context. Normally they will misquote it, use it in an inappropriate setting. But they know what it says. They just don't do what it says. And yet the Bible plainly says, Jesus says, if you're not living it out, you're a hearer only of the word. You're not a doer. And so we have to be careful, church, 
because we are supposed to be doers of the word of God. That is who we are in Christ Jesus. So how do we act towards our foes in this case? What does that look like in that sense? What happens when these things come alive in our life? Well, let me show you from the life of Jesus exactly how Jesus did what we just read there in verses 27 and 28. Jesus loved Judas just as much as he loved John. And in fact, continued to the end of his time with Judas. Judas, are you really going to betray the Son of Man with a kiss? In other words, Judas, you want to change your mind? You want to turn around? You want to repent? You see, Jesus loved Pilate as much as he loved Peter. Now you're saying, well, that's impossible. No, it's not. Not for Jesus. And by the Spirit of the living God, not for us either. We can love people who mistreat us. We can love people who don't like us. We can love people who have hurt us. Can you imagine? Why do you suppose Jesus hung for the, from the cross and said, Father, forgive them, for they don't have a clue what they're doing, to modernize it a bit. They, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know me. And so they don't know what to do. And so they do what their flesh tells them to do. And that man who scourged me, I love him. These Romans who nailed me to this cross, I love them. I died for them, is what Jesus is in effect saying. The man who beat the crown of thorns on his head, Jesus says, I love you. To the one who smote him and plucked his beard, I love you. I just love you. That's the way the church is supposed to behave. And to that end, notice verse 29, to him who strikes you on the one cheek, give him the other one. Now, I don't know about you, but when someone punches me in the face, that's not my natural inclination. My natural inclination is, oh, this is going to hurt you a lot more than it hurt me. That's what my flesh would do. But the Spirit says, what's going on in that person's life that they would do such a thing? Would you pray for them right now, Jeff? Would you try and get to the heart of their soul problem that's led them to this place to where they're so angry and bitter and filled with rage and hate that they would strike you? You see, that's a very different place, is it not? My flesh says, hit them back and make sure they don't get up. And the spirit of the living God says, what's hurting them so deeply that they would respond this way? That's a monumental paradigm change. And for him who takes away your cloak, don't withhold your tunic. Two pieces is all they had. A cloak and a tunic. An inner garment and an outer garment. If they've already got, if the, the intent is here, if you've got to walk around naked so they're clothed, give them everything. You, you see, that's the way the actions that we would have towards our foes would potentially change them to see the grace of God. They're not going to see the grace of God if you punch them in the face. 
They're not going to see the grace of God if you extract every measure of retribution possible. They're not going to see the grace of God in your life. They're not going to come to the cross of Christ unless they see the love of God in you. That's the sure way to draw men to the Savior. And so towards our foes, live it out, have biblical faith in such a way that they see those works in you and they glorify our Father who's in heaven. It goes on, picking up in verse 30, how should we act towards our fellow man? Just people in general. This is a long section, but it has a central message. Notice verse 30, give to everyone who asks of you. In other words, your neighbor that has need, give it to him. The one who takes away your goods, let him keep them. Give them back, Jesus said. Just just let him have it. It's not worth it. And just as you want men to do to you, this verse that we often call the golden rule, you also do to them likewise. Whatever I would want in that situation. When someone's hungry, what do you want? To be castigated and told how lazy you are? Do you want someone to walk up to you and go, wow, you're really deserving of this, brother? No, you want someone to come alongside and sympathize and empathize with you in a way that produces results and does something about your despair. That's what you would want. Why do you think anyone else would want something else? But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Bingo! Somebody walks up and throws down $100,000 on your palm and says, have a nice day. You're going you're gonna to find it pretty easy to love that person. But somebody walks up to you and says, man, I don't have enough food for my kids. Could you help me? And you barely have enough food for your kids. That's a whole different matter, isn't it? What are you going to do? It's easy to love people who love you and show it. It's very difficult to love people, especially when you're in a difficult situation like many of you are right now. You see, it matters what you do. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? You know, if you just make a good deal. Like, well, if you could just give it back or maybe a little bit of interest or you could come over and do something for me. Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But Jesus goes on and restates his original statement. But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And it is there that your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. And you're going, "Ah, I don't believe that. Well, you should, because that's you. Before you met Christ, you were unthankful and you were evil, and so was I. Matter of fact, the Bible goes on to remind us that we were actually dead in our trespasses and sins. We weren't kind of sort of alive. We weren't nearly almost good people. We were dead. And so Jesus is saying, look, here's the deal for you, Jeff. 
Love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing, zero, nada. Not a thing in return. Nothing in return. Just do good to them. For in that space, why? Why is your reward great in that space? And really that space alone, because that's the Jesus space. That's the Christ space. That's God's son on the cross. That's his space. That's why his name one day will be exalted above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father. Why? Because he loved us to the uttermost. He gave away everything. Everything he had, he gave away for me. And he's saying, why don't you do that for other people? And you're saying, well, I can't. Well, that's not actually true. The truth is you won't because you can, but you don't. And so you have to come to the conclusion that it's really a heart issue. It's not, I won't do that. I'll only go so far. And I don't say that to shame anyone. I struggle with that myself. I look at this passage and go, Lord, that's impossible. You cannot be asking me to do this. And yet he does. Why? Because when you do it, you are being just like Jesus. Just like him. But love your enemies. And lend, hoping for nothing in return. Your reward will be great. Why? And you will be called the sons of the Most High you're going to look the most like God's kids when you're the most like Jesus. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil and therefore be merciful. Have mercy on people. Recognize their faults and weaknesses. Just as your father also is merciful. And judge not lest you should also be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Measure, press down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And then he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they both not fall in the ditch? For a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. You see, how do we act? We act the way we would want to be treated. And so there's an additional issue here. One is that we look at who we are in Christ Jesus and recognize that without the grace of God, I'm not getting into heaven. Now, maybe you think you're good enough to get there. I can tell you, as far as the Bible says, you're not. Without the blood of Christ covering your sins, without your sins being forgiven, without the redemption price paid, you're not getting into heaven. The only way that can happen is by receiving the grace gift, which is free. But it costs God his son and Jesus his life. So we need to treat it as sacred. 
We need to treat it as holy. We need to respect it with everything that's within us, and that should change the way we act. You see, what's going to happen when I receive a gift like that? It's so amazingly wonderful that it makes me want to bless the giver. You see, so the problem becomes not so much what's happened, but what do I do with what's happened? How do I respond to this grace transaction that's brought me salvation in Christ, the forgiveness of my sins, and has pointed me, as Jesus previously said in the end of the Beatitudes, has pointed me on a journey towards heaven so that when I take my last breath, the next thing I'm going to see is the face of the Lord Jesus. You might expect that the Lord would have something to say following this. Another point. You need to be really careful about judging somebody else. Or, in other words, judging Jesus style. Because I want to point this out to you. Judge not, and you shall not be judged, doesn't mean that you can't judge at all. But it does say you better be careful what measuring stick you use. That if you're not using grace and you're not using mercy, if your judging stick does not contain forgiveness, if there isn't kindness, gentleness, meekness, and self-control on your stick of judgment. You see, we don't use them much anymore, but everyone used to have yardsticks in their home. And you'd pull it out if you needed to measure something. It was just simply a stick marked out in inches and feet. Maybe on the other side, there might have been meters and centimeters. But it was so that you could be fair in judging everything. And Jesus is saying the exact same thing. He's saying, make sure your judging stick is a grace stick. It's a mercy stick. It's a, I'm forgiven, so I'm supposed to be a forgiver stick. It's God doesn't hold my transgressions against me, and neither should I hold others' transgressions against them. It's a stick of equality. That's The equality comes from the grace of God. Church, we must learn this. Jesus isn't saying don't judge. He's saying, be very, very, very careful. And most importantly, because he's speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees, don't be a hypocrite with your judgment. Use the same stick, in other words, that you want to be measured with. You know, it's interesting. When I have faults pointed out to me that I can see, the first thing I want people to do, mercy, man. Grace, brother. Forgive me. Oh, could you not hold that against me? Don't give me what I deserve. Could you please be kind to me? You see, that's how I want to be judged. And that should be exactly how we judge other people. The same way we ourselves want to be judged. You know what? I don't like harshness. I hate it when my faults are visible. And I pray when people see them that they're kind with my flesh. That they look at my weaknesses and go, Jeff's still a man. 
His pants go on one leg at a time, just like all the other human males, unless you sit down first. You might be able to pull both of them on at the same time. But the fact of the matter is we're all in this together and we're all broken people. We're all hurting. Every one of us has faults and weaknesses. And oh, can I tell you, they're very visible at times. Matthew records a much clearer picture of this in chapter 7 of Matthew's gospel. And he says, judge not that you, that you, that you, that you not be judged. In other words, the moment you become a judge, you're opening yourself up to being judged. The moment you decide to be judged during an executioner, you might be shooting yourself. You, you could be pointing the finger back at yourself in the way that you pointed at other people. For with what judgment you judge, notice it isn't saying don't judge. It's saying be really, really meticulously careful about judging because you might just be judging yourself at the same time. You will be judged. And with the measure you use, there it is. The tape measure, the yardstick, the laser, whatever it is. With the measure that you use, You see, when you tear apart someone else's character, plan on your character getting torn apart. When you rip into slander about someone else or gossip about someone else, prepare to be slandered and gossiped about. When you take the opportunity to destroy your brother or sister for whom Christ died, or really anyone, because Christ died for everyone, When you take it upon yourself to destroy them, you are in essence also destroying a part of you. Because we are one in him. We get through this life together. The grace I need, you need. The mercy I need, you need. The forgiveness I need, you need. There's neither Jew, there's not Gentile. There's not male and female. We are all one in Christ. We need the same thing, so we should have the same grace towards each other. Universally. And I want you to notice something. There's no qualifiers here. Unless they do this. Unless they're a pastor. Hear me well, church. There is a gracelessness in our church, and I mean the church in the world, that is rotting the soul of of the church because we pick and choose the things we want to pick on. And it's true that some sins have a greater consequence in this life, but from God's perspective, they're all healed by the same thing. The grace of God resulting in the forgiveness of God because God is merciful and those mercies are new every morning. You don't have to earn them. God is just by nature merciful, and you can count on his mercy. So should not other people be able to count on the mercy of God when they come to us? When we see them? You see, whatever you use to measure, it's going to be measured back to you with the same stick. People sometimes wonder why they're having such a problem 
with other people when what they do is spend all day gossiping about other people. When their bitterness is eaten at their soul to such an extent that they can say nothing nice about anyone, that their whole ministry is attempting to find fault with other people. Let me be clear to you, that is not a ministry that came from the Lord. Your ministry is not fault-finding. That was what the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the scribes did. And Jesus consistently, frequently, and often condemned their activity. Why? Because we all have problems. Every one of us needs the same answer. And so Jesus is saying, be careful about how you judge. Because it may well come back on you. When you attack the, the motivations of others, when you have that sensuous spirit that can never see anything good, no matter how hard someone tries. Any of you been misunderstood? Any of you done things that you knew were wrong? You did them anyway? You lived long enough to suffer through the consequences of that? How did you want people to respond to your sin? By condemnation? Gossip? The horrors of character assassination? Is that what you would want? Jesus is speaking to you this morning, and he's saying, stop it. Because it will produce a root of bitterness in you. It will destroy your life. Let it go. Let it go and be a tool for the goodness of God in the lives of others. Jesus says God's kids are supposed to be generous with both our funds and with our stuff in general. Why? Because the Lord himself is generous with his stuff. Whatever you have right now in your possession, it all came from the same source, Jehovah Jireh. It's all actually still his. You just get to borrow it while you're here. And so use those things for his glory. Many of you are being tested in that way right now. You see, the Pharisees had a problem. They had mean little souls. Very tiny souls that didn't have any room for anyone to be in there but them. It causes you to look at your own circumstance and situation, and pretty soon you're the only one that matters. And again, I say to you, I think our culture has developed this this intense narcissism of spiritual things. It's like, I have it, but I don't want you to have it. I've got it, but you can't. We need to grow up in the Lord. That's one one of the reasons, I think, that when you look at how the, the apostles responded to these things, they were rent of soul. Like, man, he's describing me. I'm acting like that. And I need to change the way I'm acting because it's not showing people the Savior in my life. The truth is you have your faults and I have my faults. How do you treat those faults and failings that you have? Notice from verse 41. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? But do not perceive the plank in your own? 
You're looking for a piece of dust in someone else's eye. You, you got out your microscope of sin. You, you got your sin sniffer out. You're going, man, that guy's got this. That girl's got this. But you can't see your own sin. You don't notice the fact that you have a spirit of division. You don't see that as sin. You just see the fact that they had an adulterous relationship. You see the fact that they're a drunkard. You see the fact that they're struggling with same-sex attraction. You see their sin, but you don't see your own sin. You don't see your bitterness. You don't see your anger and hatred. You don't see your vanity. You don't see your gluttony. You don't see your own sin. You see everyone else's sin. And so here's the plank coming out of your own eye and you're trying to help somebody find some dust. You know, there's an interesting piece that is missing often from our explanation of this. You can't get close enough to someone else's face when you have a board sticking out of your own eye to even see the speck. Maybe we should deal with our own things first. Perhaps we should look at the things that are in our own lives before we consider whether we're going to even think about judging someone else. That's why Jesus said, be very careful. Again, he didn't say don't judge. As a pastor, I've been called to judge, especially false teaching. Be careful. Or how can you say to your brother, verse 42, brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourself cannot see the plank that's in your own eye, Jesus uses a word here, hypocrites. Hypocrites. Actors. People who put on masks. In Greek theater, very often that would be sometimes as many as four sides, sometimes even a fifth up on top of their head. And they would wear a mask and they'd play the part and there'd be a single actor and they would just simply switch masks, whatever they wanted to be. That's what a hypocrite does. Oh, I got the holiness mask on. I've got the righteous indignation mask on. I've got the I'm just being discerning mask on now. Jesus calls you a hypocrite. I don't. Because I've played the part. I'm with you in the weakness, the failing. But I'm telling you, you're never going to have joy in the Lord. You're not going to be blessed. And you will not show people the wonderful Jesus that we know by being a hypocrite through judging other people and pretending that you have no problem yourself. That person may not have your problem, but you got your problem. You may not have their problem, but they have their problem. The answer to both is grace. The answer to both is mercy. The answer to both is forgiveness. First, remove the plank from your own eye. Circle that word first. Job one, task one, right at the top of the list, pull out your own plank. Pull it out. Then you can see a little more clearly to remove that speck in your brother's eye. And then he adds another illustration. He says, look, here's the deal. Good tree does not bear bad fruit. That word bad is interesting. It can mean rotten, worthless, putrid, dead. You see, a good tree doesn't produce rotten fruit. Nor does a bad tree, nor does a rotten tree produce good fruit. 
And you're all going, yeah, well, I know that. But do you live that? For every tree is known by its own fruit. Whatever kind of fruit tree you are, that's the kind of fruit you're supposed to bear when people see you. They go, oh, that's an apple tree. You don't produce rotten fruit. Rotten fruit comes when the fruit falls to the ground, amen? When it's produced and it's growing on the tree and it's luscious and wonderful, you look at that fruit and go, that's a guava tree. But when those same guavas fall on the ground as they do wild in the Hawaiian Islands, oh, it's rotten. It's horrible. It's a stench. You see, we're not supposed to produce a stench. We're supposed to emit the fragrance of Christ. We're supposed to be beautiful in the way that we view other people. We're not supposed to be a bad tree trying to produce good fruit. Men don't gather fig trees from thorns or figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. But a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart, you see what he's saying, brings forth evil. In other words, what's inside is what's going to be outside. What's going on in here is what's going to be visible out there. You can hide for a while. You can speak Christianese. You can wander. You can have all kinds of blogs. You can have your own website. You can do all kinds of stuff. You can claim to be something that's wonderful and holy, but eventually the type of tree you are is going to bear its fruit. That's what will happen. You see, it matters what you do. And you're probably saying, wow, you're kind of beating me up here, Pastor Jeff. No, I'm not at all, because I'm with you in this. I don't want to be corrupt. I don't want to be rotten. I don't want my faith to be mistaken because of the way that people see my life lived out. I want people to know who I am, so I want to be careful how I act. I want God to receive the glory from my life. And so I'm careful how I act. You see, no matter how loudly you spout something, if your actions belie what you've said, then people will almost always believe what you have done over what you've said. It matters what you do. That's why James said it. Be ye therefore doers of the word, not hearers only. Because the hearer only deceives, not me, you deceive you. You end up self-deceived. Worst kind of deception, caused Satan to fall. He was self-deceived. He said, I will exalt myself above the heights of heaven. That's self-deception. And so Jesus, as he speaks these things forth, he's really speaking to your life of faith and my life of faith. You see, you can confess faith, and we all should. I have believed on the only begotten Son of God. I've confessed my faith. I am trusting Jesus Christ to get me into heaven when my days are done on this earth because he will have forgiven every last one of my sins. Because of the blood that he shed on Calvary's cross, I will one day enter into glory. I've confessed that faith. But that's not where it ends. 
And that shouldn't be where it ends for you. And that is exactly why Jesus says in verse 46, but why do you call me Lord? Lord. Not once, but twice. Just want to make sure everybody hears me. Oh, Lord, Lord. Oh, Lord. And do not do the things that I say. Why is that? Because to some degree, we are all like people who live in Britain under a constitutional monarchy. You see, the Queen of England does not rule England. She's a figurehead. The country is actually governed by the prime minister and the parliament. The prime minister and the parliament work together to pass laws, and the queen basically signs them. You see, we want someone else to do the work, but we want to acknowledge tacitly that there's a king. And unfortunately, that king is often us. We want to live under a constitutional monarchy. I want to be able to govern my own affairs, but I'll call Jesus my king. Jesus is saying, that's not Lord. You can't call your own shots. You can't live your life as you please. You can't go on sinning, Paul would say, any longer. You have to be a doer of the word, not a hearer only, as James would say. You can't proceed to please yourself and think you're pleasing the Lord. You have to agree with D.L. Moody and D.A. Carson and R.A. Torrey and many others who have said, if Jesus is not Lord of all, perhaps he is not Lord at all. When we say Jesus is Lord, that means he's master. That means we do what he says. That means what you do matters. Verse 47, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. Who is he like? He, she is like the man or the woman who built their house, who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house that it could not be shaken for it was founded on the rock. Amen? You see, tests are going to come. Coronavirus is going to come. The question is, are you going to have the triumph of a correct faith that is doing, or are you going to have faith that doesn't bear up under the pressure? Because there is a counterfeit faith, and Jesus finishes with it here in verse 49, but he who heard and did nothing, who didn't care what he did, to him, it didn't matter what he did. He was just like the world. She was just like the world. Public opinion mattered, political correctness, moral relevance, the will of the majority. The way of the perishing was the way they actually lived their life. They were not doers of the word. They were just hearers only. They had a readiness even to hear, but they did not respond to what they heard. It's like a man who built his house that person who did nothing on dirt, mud, sand, and against which the stream beat, and vehemently it beat against it, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Brothers and sisters, 
Long passage of scripture. But it all says a central thing. It matters what you do. It matters to Jesus how you live your life. The lordship of Christ is seen in how you live your life. Grace is free. The faith to believe is a gift. But it matters what you do. Make sure that what you do tells people about the one whom you love. And when they see the one whom you love lived out in your life, they're going to want that for themselves. That's that living epistle that can be read by all men. It matters what you do. We have pastors online that are willing to pray with you about anything and everything. If you don't know the Lord, they would love to share the gospel with you and pray with you to receive Christ. Let's this week make sure that we're doers of the word, amen? Living our lives in such a way that we tell the world about Jesus simply by the way we live so that people can come to know him, be saved. And maybe the end of this coronavirus is a trumpet in heaven bringing the church home. Amen. Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, we ask that you would shorten the days to our gathering together in person. I pray for those that have heard this message and they were challenged. God, would you strengthen them in their inner man, their inner woman, that they would know that you're able to accomplish these things in and through them by your spirit. They'll just surrender if they will submit to your will and to your lordship. They can be free from these things that bind them. And so, God, we pray for the bitter people that are listening, the judgmental people that are listening. We, we pray for those that are bound up in slander. Lord, I pray for those that are taking this time of separation and using it to rip into other people on the internet. Lord, would you silence their mouths, cause them to see their own sin, see the log in their own eye first so that they might be helpful in speck removal. Father, we thank you for your love for us, and we pray that you would just cause us to be bearers of the unmistakable image, the, the grace image of our Savior Jesus. Whether we're in the store with a mask on or, Lord, in our homes praising you in front of a TV, would your glory be known by all men through the way we live our lives, for it does matter what we do. Bless us this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.